You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now I want to start off, before I get to the message, by addressing the misconception that the Old Testament condones slavery. No doubt many of you have seen someone who doesn't believe in God and they will, to discredit the Holy Scriptures, they will say that, well, the Bible condones slavery. I want to ask you a question. How many of you owe money on a credit card? Will you raise your hand? Oh, stop acting like you got it all put together. Okay. All right. Well, today... Scott Mercer is an indentured servant to Visa. I am. I am. But 5,000 years ago, what would happen is if I owed you money or if I wanted to buy 100 cattle from you, I would send two of my children to your house to work for you. And they'd work for you. We'd agree on an amount of time that they'd work for you. And obviously they didn't have transportation back then. So they would live at your place. And they would work for you for five, six months. And then when they got done, if you if they liked the job, they'd stay working for you. Or they could come back and live with me. But that is what we call an indentured servant. It is not slavery, it is not forced labor, it is not genocide, it is not what we saw 
in American history where people were kidnapped from Africa and were against their own will drugged to Europe and America and forced against their will to work. That is slavery and that is evil. This is not. In fact, the Bible is the first emancipation proclamation. The Bible is the greatest document in world history to free slaves and to give justice to those who are indentured servants. Now let's go on to the sermon. I want us not to gloss over the first four words of chapter 12. The Bible says, now the Lord said. Now, I grew up in church and I grew up reading my Bible and oftentimes I will read the Lord said and I'll just quickly go on and see what the Lord said. But it is amazing that the Lord said. And I want you to understand that Abraham actually did have a personal encounter with the God of creation. God really did speak to Abraham and today God really does speak to us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, Long ago, at many times... And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, you understand we are in the last days. But in these last days, how does God speak to us? Well, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So while so many of us would say, yes, God did speak, God spoke through his son, there is an increasing number of people in the world that would say, no, he did not speak. But surely God did speak when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now let's see what the Lord said. In the New King James translation, the Lord said, God, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house. He was not told where to go. I want you to imagine this job interview. All right, now we're going to have you and you're going to take your family. You're going to leave the country and we're going to have you go to another country and you're going to leave Everyone here, you can take your wife and your nephew, but you're going to go to the other country and you're going to leave, you're going to go work a job. Well, okay, where, well, where is it going to be? Let me talk to my wife and we'll, we'll see if that's a country that we're interested. No, no, you're just going to go and we'll tell you the country after you agree to do the job. Anybody here going to take that job? Well, you might if the Lord said, Right? So the Lord appeared to Abraham, and here Abraham is banking on the Lord said. The person in the Bible that God blesses more than any other 
the one by which God said your name will be made famous. You will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. He had everything that our modern vernacular would dictate stripped away. But he had God. He had the promise of God. And in that, he had significance. He was left vulnerable and uncomfortable. He was given no directions or specifics. Just a promise. I will show you. Now this morning, I'd like us to talk about three things from this passage. Number one, we're going to talk about the counterintuitive way of obtaining happiness. Then we're going to talk about the purpose for God's blessings. And lastly, we're going to talk about the uncontrollable response to grace. Number one, let's talk about the counterintuitive way of obtaining happiness. So what I mean by that is, you would think that this is how you obtain happiness. The world around us says, this is how you obtain happiness. But actually, Scripture says, this is how you obtain happiness. Let's look at it. In 2016, there were 45,000 people in the United States that committed suicide. According to the Washington Post, the percentage had spiked every year since 1999. I want to read to you what the Washington Post says is the reason for the spike in suicides. One factor, quote, one factor in the rising rate of suicide, say, say mental health professionals, as well as economists, sociologists, and, and epidemiologists, is the great recession that hit 10 years ago, end quote. So the Washington Post says the reason the suicide rate has skyrocketed is the great recession. In the same article, it is noted that over half of the suicides in 2016 were not mental health related. I have a cousin who is at great risk for suicide. My cousin is mentally challenged and his parents have him in all of these uh, counseling and, and therapy and he has, he is... 16 years old, and he's already told his parents, I, I want to commit suicide. That's not what we're talking about. Over half of the suicides, the last time they ran the numbers, were not mental health. They were related to a financial crisis. A study done by the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention in 2014 stated that suicide was the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., imposing, get this, $51 billion to the U.S. taxpayer. Now, why am I talking about suicide in regards to the counterintuitive way that we obtain happiness? I believe through Scripture this morning we are going to see evidence that the Washington Post was in fact 
correct. Materialism, a recession, or the source of one's financial income being annihilated are key factors to many suicides, and furthermore, they are key factors to the lack of joy so many in a society surrounded by wealth have today. In the passage we read, I want us to notice three things that make up our identity. First of all, our country. Second of all, our family. And third of all, our home. Our country is the platform by which we build our family and our home. I was thinking about Kelsey Day, and then I met a lady this morning in the first service whose daughter is a missionary in Hungary. Many of you have traveled around the world. You're well-traveled, so you'll know what I'm about to say to be true. The percentage that you will become successful in America is exponentially skyrocketed versus other countries, especially third world countries in the world. It is what we call the American dream. The minimum wage in Thailand is 300 baht, which is $8 a day. But Thailand is the wealthiest country in Southeast Asia. The seven countries that make up Southeast Asia, Thailand's the wealthiest. And so there are people that escape Burma, now called, Malay, now called Myanmar. They escape Cambodia. They escape Laos. And they come to Thailand to make $8 a day because in their country, they're making $1 a day. But when they get to Thailand, they're illegal or they're legal. But Thailand kind of turns its head and allows the people hiring these people to not enforce that minimum wage. So in Thailand, they're making 3 or $4 a day, but it's still triple what they were making. The percentage of your success, and this is what I want you to understand this morning. The percentage of your success is largely based on what country you live in. Number two, our family. Our family is the avenue by which we obtain wealth. Now, 5,000 years ago, even 200 years ago, when you came across someone, you'd say, what's your name? And they would say, I'm Mr. Smith or I'm Mr. Taylor. And you would immediately know what their occupation was based on their last name. And so the family in ancient times and the occupation was one in the same. So when we're talking about the family here, we're also talking about Abraham's occupation. The family is the avenue by which we obtain wealth. Number three, our home. 
Our home is where we invest our money, which we've earned at our job in our country. Home is also a place of comfort and safety where we can recuperate to go back to work and make more wealth to refurnish our home so that we can recuperate again to further work and make more wealth to refurnish our home so that we can recuperate again. Do I need to keep going? If we allow it to, the things that make up who we are can actually keep us from being who we were made to be. Am I suggesting this morning that we sell our home, quit our job, and leave our family? Of course not. But this morning, I want to put before you a biblical principle that is this. If I am relying on these things for happiness, they will let me down. We can become hypnotized into a ritual of life where we are the center and our comfort is paramount. Now, how many of you understand that in our society today, this is a dilemma? I'm the center of my world and my happiness is paramount. By raising my own needs... By placing too much significance on myself, I can actually become insignificant. By trying to keep my life, I lose my life. If happiness is my mission, then I have nothing to deny my happiness for. I have nothing to die for, nothing to live for. I was a freshman in high school, and I remember walking down to the altar during a youth conference. I got on my knees, and I told God, I said, God, I'm going to make you a promise. I'll do anything you want me to do. But dear God, don't let it be a missionary. That is the God honest truth. Now, we're all family, right? Let's, let's kind of shoot straight with each other. Christy, plug your ears. Missionaries, they can kind of be out there, right? Little, little wacko. Uh, I remember, like, every Sunday night at our church, we had 6 o'clock hour... And then we'd have 7 o'clock preaching in the, in the evening. And during the seven o'clock, 6 o'clock, there'd be a missionary that'd come in. And normally, they just look like, whew, rough. And then they'd get up, and America is wealthy, and you all are a bunch of rich snobs, and give me money. I mean, that's not really what they said, but that's kind of what I was getting out of it. My senior year of high school, I was at a youth revival. Pastor Joe Esposito from California was preaching. And he said, on the first night of youth revival, he said, some of you are holding one thing back from God. 
And he said, until you let go, you will never have peace. And then he said something. He said, that peace that you're going to have when you let go is so much better than whatever it is you're afraid of giving up. Well, it was the first night of youth revival, so no one goes down. It's kind of just the sermon where the preacher, like, introduces himself. I come down to the altar, and I am weeping at the altar. I'm a little bit of an emotional person, and I'm there weeping at the altar. No one else came down. So here, Pastor Esposito, he says, Scott, would you want to come up here and share what you're feeling right now? I'm like, no, I don't. And I mean, thank God I was surrendering to the mission field and not giving something up. Because then I would have been really scared. I go up to the I go up to the microphone and I just said, I've been struggling for a long time and becoming a missionary, you know, giving up, just surrendering to God, and that's what I'm doing. And then I went back and sat down. And I'm gonna tell you this morning, I cannot describe to you. The peace that I got that day. Wow. Fast forward six years later. I'm in the car with one of my best friends and we're driving down the road. I look over at my buddy and I said, weren't you interested in missions one, once back when? And my buddy looked over at me and he said, Scott... He said, my wife wouldn't, wouldn't let me go to the mission field. And I don't want to sound, I don't come up here. Those of you that have been coming here we last six months and you've gotten to know me and Christy, we're just normal people. We're not like superhuman, whatever. I, I'm, I'm trying to explain something to you right now. God told Abraham, I want you to leave your country Leave your home, leave your family. I'm going to bless you, and you just have to trust me. And all I'm trying to do this morning is just testify. That peace is something that you can't understand, and you can't trade it for anything in the world. When we focus on our identity, and the security and happiness that comes from it. We've placed too much importance on the temporal, which fades away. Then when it does fade away, we are left with nothing. Nothing to live for. So I spend my life trying to obtain that job or that dream home. And when it fails, all the time I spent on that which is temporal was wasted. Or maybe it doesn't fall through. Maybe I do get that job. Maybe I do get that home. And it takes up all of my time. I get to the end of my life with a beautiful home. One that will not be here in 50 years. In Genesis chapter 20 we see God tells Abraham to let go of his life. So that God could give him the life God had for him. I want to read a paragraph from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Quote, 
But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you are not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for Him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds true for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. In literature and art, no one who bothers about originality will ever be original. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. End quote. It is by searching for God and His purpose that we find ourselves and our purpose. So if I want to lose my life, I just need to focus on myself and my needs. This is what Jesus said. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Matthew 6.33, this is what Jesus also said. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Missionary C.T. Studd said this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The counterintuitive way to obtain happiness is to give up your life to let God make you into what he made you to be. That leads me to a question. If God... If the way to happiness is not obtaining things, then why does God give us good things? That leads us to our second point, number two, the purpose for God's blessing. Look with me at verse number two and verse number three. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And then we have... That two-letter word, so. So that you will be a blessing. God told Abraham that he would bless him to be a blessing. Now we must not go to either extreme on this in regards to giving. What an amazing testimony by Brother Thomas, and we'll get back to that in a second. But I don't want us to go to either extreme. On an extreme over here, you have what we call the prosperity gospel. And you'll find that really easily if you just turn on your TV. But the prosperity gospel teaches us that if we will do good and obey God, 
He'll open the windows of heavens and we won't have any problems. And if you're struggling right now or someone in your family has a disease, you haven't been claiming the promises, you haven't been praying, you haven't been doing the things you're supposed to do. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches. You do, you perform, God will bless. But the other extreme on this side, and I think we might find this a little more in our circle, is what we would call suffering for Jesus. There's no way that guy's right with God because he's driving a brand new Lincoln. And look at me over here driving this ragamuffin 15-year-old car that won't even run. Now, we're laughing because I'm being extreme, but I want you to understand the extremes do exist. But what we find in Scripture is that the wealthiest man in the world wasn't living over here in poverty, and he certainly did not think he was wealthy because he had it all figured out and he was doing great. We must absorb ourselves in the knowledge that things are temporal and that they are insufficient to fill the longing in our hearts. If and when God blesses us, we should appreciate and enjoy the gift and look to the blessing, look to be a blessing to others. What an amazing testimony. And it's funny because we do this service two times. Tony got up and gave his testimony, and I'm sitting down here getting ready to preach, and I'm just like, I texted Pastor Capace, and I said, Tony Thomas just set me up for a wide-open slam dunk. Then I get up and I preach, and I come to him before the second service, and I said, Tony, you got to do the same testimony. You can't, you can't change anything. But what an amazing testimony. Here's what Tony said. Tony said, when I was a kid, my dad taught me to give. In the first service, he said, I might not even be the best person to do one of these testimonies because I've always given. He said, when Pastor Capace preaches on giving, I'm like, oh, not my sin. But he then transitioned, Tony did, and Tony said, but now I give because I realize everything I have was given to me by God. Here's an elder in our church, a businessman, a successful businessman, whose wife apparently gives every once in a while. And they have learned the secret, which is that everything that you and I have been given is a gift. Junior, wherever you are, go ahead and make your way up here and get those boots on. Are you already back there? Or you just stay back there until I'm ready. Stinginess comes from a persuasion that we earned our help. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, is Pastor Scott teaching us that we're supposed to give handouts? Here's a lady or here's a man and they're addicted to drugs and alcohol. Is he suggesting that we take our hard-earned money 
and we just give it to them and go do your drugs and, you know, we want to we be generous. Is that, is that what I'm teaching? Am I supposed to take my hard-earned money and give it to someone who won't work? You know, much of the time from my experience, a handout is actually not the solution. But wait a minute. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time those of you that know a trade took your time and energy where you could have been investing in you and you invested your time and your gifts and your trade into someone who was less fortunate, you're losing money, but you're blessing them. Man, that person over there, boy, they're just lazy. I mean, good grief, if they got off the couch, they could probably get a job. Those of you who are experts financially, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you took your time and taught someone how to do their finances who was never taught? Boy, wouldn't it be awesome if we had someone that was going to volunteer to teach here on financing? Finances. You say, Pastor Scott, I'll just be honest with you. I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I earned my way and they can too. Well, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to talk about bootstrapping. Who's ever heard of the term bootstrapping? You heard of it before? All right, let's give you the definition. It's an idiomatic, it's an idiom, and it means to begin an enterprise or recover from a setback without any outside help, to succeed only by one's own efforts or abilities. It was a term first coined in 1834, and it is a term becoming extremely popular. Do we have any Shark Tank fans in the room? Raise your hand. If you're not a Shark Tank fan, you go get with the program. And the problem is, boy, they have been on break for a long time. Every time me and Christy go on Hulu, it says no new episodes. Now, those of you who are Shark Tank fans, help me with this answer. The Shark Tank is six people who are what, what millionaires? Say it out loud. Self-made. Now, you know what that means? These guys had no help. They were born, probably landed up in a dumpster, got out of the dumpster by themselves, grew up on their own, taught themselves, they taught themselves how to be initiative. Then they taught themselves, you know, work ethic and, and how to sweat and toil and perseverance. And they're teaching it all themselves. They are pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. Junior, come on out, my buddy. Now, we are not having a baptism this morning. Come on out. All right, now, Junior's going to help us with this illustration. I want you, Junior, I want you to grab your straps here. These are your bootstraps. 
And I want you, because I know you can do it. You're a strong young man. I want you to pull yourself up with those. Oh, come on. You're not trying. Cheer them on, church. Come on. A little harder. A little harder. Come on. Pull. Go, go, go. A little harder. Can't do it. All right, Junior. Thank you. Thank you, Junior. The truth of the matter is, you cannot pull yourself up by yourself. That's actually true. That's a fact. What is that? A physics fact? It is. Everything that you and I have is a gift. Even your initiative is a gift. Your character was not self-taught. Your work ethic is not something you discovered on your own. Here in Genesis chapter 12, we learn the biblical principle, which is, you are blessed so that you can bless. We are blessed to bless others. We are given the gift of life to spend it on others. Number three. I want us to talk about the uncontrollable response of grace. And give me a few minutes to give you this thought and to unroll it for you. Let's look at verse number 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so what did Abraham do? So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there again he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Everywhere Abraham went, he would build an altar and dedicate it to the Lord and worship. Abraham's response to God's grace was obedience and worship. Now, I personally do not believe in irresistible grace. And that may have gone over some of your heads. If, we want, if you want to talk to me about that later, let's go out to Starbucks and we'll talk about irresistible grace. But I do believe that God's grace is irresistible. You say, Pastor Scott, what on earth are you talking about? How many of you would agree with me that pepperoni pizza is irresistible? Would you you agree with me? Some of you don't have your hand up. All right, well, I'll I'll go on with my illustration. I was trying to think of something that everyone would agree on. We can't even agree on that. I think that pepperoni pizza is irresistible. And there are a lot of meals that I eat, and I don't eat seconds. But I never eat pepperoni pizza where I don't get seconds. My little daughter, Kara, she's three years old. She's the one with the short hair that curls out, little pudgy face, and she smiles all the time. Every time we get pizza, I already know what kind of pizza I'm going to get her, but I like to give her the decision. I say, Kara, what kind of pizza do you want? Cheese! So I get one cheese and I get one pepperoni for me and Christy. We get the pizza home and 
forgive all of you that think there's better pizza in Hot Springs than Papa John's, but we get home with our Papa John's pizza. The days aren't here, so I don't have to lie and act like DeLucas is the best. All right, let's go on. So we get home with our, with our Papa John's pizza, and I ask Kara, I said, you want to try the pepperoni pizza? Now, how many of you understand the pepperoni pizza is irresistible? She says, nope, I don't want to try it. I said, well, sweetie, it's really good. Nope, I don't want it. I said, well, have you ever had it? Nope. Well, I said, well, I, I promise you're going to like it. Nope. She is refusing what is irresistible. It's irresistible in the sense that it's so good you got to have it, but it's not irresistible in the fact that she can't refuse it. So God, in his grace and his love, gives us free choice. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He said, when God gave man free choice, he took the risk that man would reject him. But he made it possible for man to choose him. I'm telling you something this morning. If you've never tasted the grace of God, just trust me and eat it. It is so irresistible. It is so good. It is so amazing. But yet some people refuse the pepperoni pizza and some people refuse the grace of God. It is pride that blinds our hearts to the grace of God. Self-absorption. When one sees the grace of God, when one sees the Creator on the cross, or in Abram's story, the Creator blessing a mere human, the only response we can have is to humble ourselves beneath Him and go where He sends us. If we are stingy, it is because we've never been saved. I'm not talking about saved from hell. I'm saying we've never been rescued. We think we don't need the help. We're good. You ever help someone out of a pool who is drowning? Maybe your child? How many of you understand when you get them out of the pool, they're very generous? But we are stingy because we think we are self-made, because we think we earned it, because we think we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. A bootstrap mentality is contrary to the doctrine of grace. Now, I'd love to tell you this morning that Abraham continued this journey of faith and that he was just the, the hero of faith. But he wasn't. Nope, he, he actually had periods of his life where he had great faith. And then he had periods of his life where he had great doubt. He went through a little series of events where he's lying to a bunch of kings because he thinks they're going to hurt him because he doesn't believe God when God said, I'm going to protect you. And then that lie was passed down to his son who did the same thing. And all of these sins, they keep piling up and pass down generation to generation. And how many of you have read the Old Testament? You understand, before too long, 
Abraham's great, great, great grandchildren, they weren't even worshiping God. They were literally worshiping anything and everything but God. Why? Because Abraham was just like you and he was just like me. He was human. But there was one from Abraham's seed who actually did pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He did have the power and authority to speak and make anything happen. He was self-sufficient. He lacked nothing. He needed nothing. He lived in a perfect place with peace and comfort. But this one left his home. He left his kindred. He left his father's house and went to a foreign nation. He was dishonored. He was cursed. He was stripped of his wealth. He was mocked by those he came to save. But what was his response? In Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 2, Scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You and I don't have the whole faith thing down, but he was perfect and he did. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame so that we could overcome death. He left his country that we might become citizens of heaven. He left his father that we might become children of God. He left his home that we might inherit a heavenly mansion. He became poor that we might become rich. He was cursed that we might be blessed. And it is because of this that we inherit everything the father has given to the son. We have earned nothing. This is grace. Abraham had only a promise. But today we have seen what was promised to Abraham. Today we have received the promise. And our only response must be to worship and to go where he sends us. To the degree that you and I think that we earned our keep. We will in turn require others to earn theirs. But to the degree that you think you were given your keep. You will in turn give all to share that with others. Church family, 
maybe your focus this morning has been on your dream home. Maybe you've focused too much time on your job. Maybe you've placed too much of your trust in the security that your home and neighborhood provide rather than trusting God to provide these. Maybe you've worked really hard and essentially earned your way, but you failed to give God the glory. Maybe this has led you to become stingy and require others to earn their way rather than allowing God to use you to be a blessing. Church family, when we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who left comfort to be ridiculed, despised, mocked, beaten, and shamed. When we see that grace, it melts our hearts and it turns us into people of grace, people of generosity, people who go out, who get out. Maybe it's not God's will for you to be a missionary, but it is God's will for you to get out. We must, as a church, get out of our comfort zone. We must, as a church, do things that make us vulnerable. We must do things that hurt a little bit. We must do things that are sacrificial, not because it's our duty. No! Because of what he did for us. William Cowper wrote a song back in 1536. And it's my favorite stanza of any song. He wrote, To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Family, Jesus did it all for you. What can we do for him? Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? Father God, we come together as a church this morning and we worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for living the life that we, des- we should have lived. Thank you for dying the death that we deserved. Thank you for not thinking of yourself. Thank you for not raising your own needs. But thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for giving up your life so that we could gain ours. So that we could have eternal life. As the music plays... I just want church together as a family. Would we worship Jesus together this morning?